Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I am a coach, I'm a hypnotherapist, I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And I'm welcoming you to this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being here. I'm talking to the wonderful, brilliant Laura Jane Williams. Laura Jane Williams is an author. She has written several books, the latest of which is called Our Stop. If you've read her books or you follow her online, she is just one of these people who has an amazing way of putting words to things that so many of us experience but find it hard to express. She's got an incredibly magnetic personality, an amazing way with words, and she talks a lot about mental health and we get into discussions about the ups and downs of work and this thing that can happen so often when our life seems really amazing from the outside. Maybe people are congratulating us on how well things are going and yet inside we're really struggling and this can happen to so many of us and we, we chat about this. We talk about her experiences of her journey with her mental health and anxiety. We talk about why it's so hard to give yourself recognition for things and she shares a practice and an example of the experiences she's had where she's really been able to give herself that recognition and I think in having this discussion it also gives us the listeners the permission to give ourselves recognition as well. We talk about the complexities of adulthood and just get into that whole topic which you know I think all of us will be able to relate to. I love this conversation with Laura I think you can love it as well and get loads from it. So I just want to let you know that my amazing if I do say so myself confidence challenge is coming up at the end of February 2020. I would love you to join us. It's completely free it's a five-day challenge and I am confident that if you join us you will notice a change in your life and how you feel. And here's what Michelle said, someone who joined the last time that I ran there. She said, this challenge gave me the courage to go out of my comfort zone and try something new. It also gave me the nudge I needed to reach out to some old friends and reconnect. More importantly, it's made me realize I'm not alone. I now understand it's okay to be open, honest, and vulnerable. And so many people have said this from this free challenge that I run. They met new friends, they took action that they wouldn't have taken before, they learned things about themselves, they took a step outside of their comfort zone and I would love all of these things for you and more so you can sign up for free if you head to my website karma you 
com forward slash confidence. Pop your email address in there and I'll send you all the details about the challenge. That's karmau.com forward slash confidence. And I hope to see you there. So let's get into the interview with Laura Jane Williams. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I've really been looking forward to speak speaking to you. I love your writing. I read Ice Cream for Breakfast when it came out and I just love the way you write. You're so funny, you're so smart, so caring the way that, you know, I know you must hear from people all the time that they just feel so loved, I think, by by your writing and the way that you help people to feel like they're not alone. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for everything that you write. Thank you. That's a very really that makes you feel really emotional <laughs> um I really received that because I'm in the the thick of a lot of fiction writing right now and going draft after draft and and it's you know everything they say about the creative journey on a project that you know minute on minute you can think oh my god this could be the best thing I've ever written and you know 20 seconds later you go well this is just a pointless waste of my time of the publisher's time of the reader's time this could be the worst book ever written in the history of books like it's it's not normal and healthy to sit by yourself and write all of those words um and it certainly play it does it plays with your mind and being right in the depths of my next book now, having somebody be so kind is just like, oh, th- oh thanks. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Yeah, and I bet, and I know you've, you've spoken about this before, and lots of writers talk about this, how there are so many ups and downs when you're in that creative process. And it's so easy to think that it should be easy. You know, it sh- I sh- you know, I should be confident of this now, but actually for, for almost everyone, if not everyone, there is that kind of those big ups and downs and that self-doubt that comes in I think yeah and I think it's interesting um I just um took on a last minute commission for a magazine it was I think was it 600 words 800 words call it 800 words um and I love the editor that asked me if I had time to contribute and if it were anybody else I would have said no um but um because it was this particular editor I was like yes I would love to do this story for you like you know set aside a weekend let's boogie and on writing so what I I mean I'm on a bookie year so I'm writing and now it's fiction back to back basically in order to sort of get ahead of myself and that is 80,000 words that you're kind of wrestling with so then to go to 800 words which is like you know you double space it that's two pages before they can sit side by side on the computer screen it was like oh my god I can see everything that I'm dealing with and it just felt like such a more manageable beast but I remember my first commission three years ago four years ago for the same magazine and the edits and we went back and forth and I wasn't quite giving her what she wanted and um so last year I I worked with this editor again and she said gosh it's just like 
congratulations on how far your writing has come. And at the time I was so mortified, like, oh my God, was I crap <laughs> when I first worked with her. And now she's like, thumbs up, less crap. Um, but then now doing this like 800 word piece for her and seeing it, I was like, I think I've actually, like I, th I'm using muscles that I've built. I think I actually have got a hold on this and I, and I can do it. And I do know how to tell an 800 word story and you know maybe one day I'll feel that way about the 80,000 words I don't know let's see how many books it takes because lord knows it's taken you know 10 years of twice a week writing 800 words posts you know for a blog or for Instagram or magazines but I feel like I might be getting somewhere with the shorter stuff at least and that's that's really nice I really had to take a moment and say good for you babe like you are you you are actually getting somewhere like you need to recognize this moment of totally enjoying putting this I made myself cry who knows it could be because I'm in the middle of book writing but I actually cried writing this piece Natasha said that she cried when she received it she didn't have any edits for me didn't have any notes and and I just thought you know what Laura take a second to pat yourself on the back for like all of the work and all of the ways that I've shown up for myself and failed and failed publicly, you know, sharing your writing, um, it, it, you know, that's a, a public act and it's not all going to be brilliant. And I just thought, yeah, yeah, own this moment. And then I went back to, you know, trying to wrestle with the 80,000 words and that's a whole different kettle of fish. But a couple of Saturdays ago, there was a real moment of, yeah, your evolution is happening. Compliment, yeah. I love that. And I think it's so important to give ourselves credit and to look back and see, actually, you know what, I have, have come a long way and, um, and to really give ourselves credit. So I hope people listening are considering doing this themselves and giving themselves a pat on the back as well. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I love to ask people this question and you, you sort of touched on it a little bit. I love to ask people the question, how are you really? How am I really? Um, <clears throat> I'm better now. I think this has been one of the most stretchy and mutual friend Lucy Sheridan uses that word stretchy this has been the stretchiest year I think of my life um with totally incredible highs these moments of realization of god I'm getting somewhere and I'm building this career of my dreams and things are really working and you know I I don't have a conventional, you know, I'm not married with 2.4 children in a house that I own, you know, I've traveled so much and I've screwed up so much and I've quit so much and I've made mistakes and uh, just really feeling good. And then of course, that isn't life. Life is not a binary state of, right now is good right now is bad the older i get the more i have to surrender to the fact that great things personally professionally can unfold at the same time as it's a total shit show 
and over the summer was a very difficult period um family illness and some confusion and um you know as as my first novel came out in the summer our stop that came out in august and i can see in the photographs for that whole month that behind the scenes my whole world was burning and i was not prepared to document that publicly because i'm trying not to do that anymore because i don't think it's a helpful thing but very much it was so interesting to me every friend that i met every phone call every facetime every coffee every dinner and people would be like oh my god your book is everywhere you must be over the moon like i saw somebody reading it on the tube you're on book tour you're doing this you do and i'm like yeah but babe i need to tell you like people are poorly i'm really confused about this thing and they would just have absolutely no idea and i think um people potentially see what they want to see i don't think your friends especially are like rooting for the sadness in your eyes you know how is she really um you know they see you fulfilling a dream and they're just so stoked for you and it was so interesting to me to be living in this juxtaposition of professional fulfillment and outward success and then coming home and having to deal with just life and the more openly i talk about this over the coffee dates over the dinners over the voice notes over the facetimes whatever the more i understand that that, that that's just being human that's just being i think 30 something as well somebody asked me recently in a podcast what advice i would give to my younger self and i i was like i would tell her drink more shag more like stay out there on the Riviera being irresponsible more because I had no idea of the complexities of true adulthood which was a, a huge privilege in so many ways but now I'm I'm here and just like wow and, and I'm coming out the other side of it now there's a lot of resolution happening um but you know that's why they call them growing pains in it because they can hurt and it has been a painful, painful summer. I think that's, yeah, such a, a good reminder, just that. Is that what you can... meant when you said, how are you really? Absolutely, I'm yeah. monologue about, you know what, it's been a bit shit, babe, on it. A absolutely, <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I recently started having, well, hosting like a women's circle with like a group of friends and one of the things that that we ask everyone answers this question how are you really um and it comes from a book called the millionth circle by um jean shinoda bolan who yeah wrote a book about women's circles and it is designed to actually get you to think about actually how am i really because we're so used to saying oh yeah i'm fine or you know my book's doing really well like things are great but actually it kind of gets you to go below the surface so thank you so much for sharing that and just hearing you own that pain and that difficulty is very I think it gives 
us permission to, to own the difficulties in our own lives as well. So thanks for saying that. I mean, my experience of communicating directly with the people that love me, um, I, I have friends not just all over the country, they're all over the world. I just, I traveled so much in my twenties. That's how it's panned out for me. There's not, you know, a, a group of five women that all live in the same town and we all get together every Friday. That's just not um, how my friendships work and that works for me. But so interesting. So then on these like one-on-one -on -one catch ups that just like, I gotta tell you, you know, not great how that is permission for the other person to go oh my god and well this is what's happening with me and it's not like bond bonding over trauma i think that would be very dysfunctional um but just talking through the the complexities of existing and what i will say is i'm very lucky to have surrounded myself with very empathetic pragmatic friends as well who understand um, the practice of gratitude and i think that's definitely a huge there was an element of just time there was nothing certain things behind the scenes there was nothing i could do which i'm a doer like if you are at a buffet and there's not enough knives i'm already in the kitchen getting them if you want you know if i want to publish a book i'm already writing the proposal you know i'm a doer so to be in this situation of pure surrender of like well <laughs> there's nothing nothing i can do just time has to pass um and in that time coming to grips with like the the gratitudes in my life is you know gratitude can be very much um vilified and made fun of you, you know if if you're in an, an abusive marriage with not a penny to your name and how are you going to let you know you're not going to sit on the bathroom floor finding things to be thankful for i appreciate that but in my position of relative comfort and privilege i think it is a must it's a requirement to practice gratitude um, and that is very much what is getting me through that I do have this unconventional non-traditional life that is very flexible and means I can create my own paths moving forward I've got immense gratitude for that um, and I've also got immense sympathy for anyone but myself in the position over the summer of not feeling that way. I just had to let time pass. And, and do you have any specific um, structure to that gratitude? Do you kind of follow a process with it or is it something that you weave into your, to your sort of every day? At this point, it is very much woven through, you know, that I'm sat here with a cup of tea and a bergamot and wild basil candle burning at half past 11 on a weekday and this is my job this is my life it's like let's just take a sec and be like fuck this is not this is nice man but even down to and you know it sounds too cutesy uh to almost be real there are certain people that i follow online Chelsea Fagan is one of them, Claire Maxwell is another, um, 
Bethany Rutter is another, who are just like, look at this perfectly toasted bagel I'm about to consume. And it's like, yeah, joy is everywhere, you know? And again, the older I get, being on book tour this summer and this book far surpassing what, I mean, literally what anybody had expected. My publisher is like, oh, ha, 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 well done. Just to sit and be like, oh my God, these people have shown up for me. You know, I can see in these pictures that I am not myself, but people showed up to hear me talk and discuss ideas. Like, that's incredible. Stopping myself in the middle of something to go, this is nice. Mm, yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you about your second book, Ice Cream for Breakfast. And every now and again, I do eat ice cream for breakfast. And I always think of you. <laughs> you always pop into my mind. Can you share a bit about what that book um, is about? And yeah, your, your experience of releasing that into the world? After my first book came out, Becoming, I got what has since been labelled millennial burnout. I actually sought out medication and therapy uh it wasn't depression so much as just like anxiety I find it found it incredibly anxious creating my first book releasing my first book into the world and then knowing what to do next and so I became a part-time children's nanny I needed to pay the bills you know if you can remove that okay my rent and food is paid for worry um you know that creates a little bit of breathing room again um in the position of privilege that I am is that that's all it takes for me to you know tick some boxes is right 12 pounds an hour 30 hours a week the rent is paid for excellent and yeah so I started nannying these children and I think I had a huge amount of embarrassment that when well, I was a published author so wasn't I supposed to be like swanning about it authorial events and rubbing shoulders at award, you know, book awards and, you know, anybody who has been published, I, I don't know if you feel this way, um, but um, I think a lot of us, you know, five books a year from debuts explode. The rest are, are you know, we are mid-list authors um we do our best it's mid-list authors are where publishers make their money but I just had no idea I thought I was going to be the next Lena Dunham and then I was not but also I didn't want to be because I suddenly felt so exposed and didn't want everybody looking at me it was very yin and yang bizarre feeling and situation I want the validation but I don't want you to look at me long enough to decide if you're going to validate me where I was at and I just felt so uncomfortable in my skin, like literally, but, but also on like a spiritual level, I was just totally empty. So none of these kids and with my embarrassment, I had taken my social media community on the journey of, you know, telling my stories on a blog to starting to get paid for my writing, to finding an agent, to the book coming out. And I, and I was, I, I had an incredible amount of embarrassment around also needing to pay my rent with something else. And I thought, well, I can either hide it or own it. So I, I, I did make it clear, you know, I am nannying these girls. 
and I didn't betray any kind of confidentiality they didn't feature on my grid or anything you know there were no faces there were no identifying details anything like that but just you know I remember the very first day of nannying these kids and she was six at the time the youngest slipping her hand into mine and saying will we go and play on the swings Laura and you just go nothing out oh my god nothing else in this moment matters more than playing on these swings and that was such a release I'd been so in my own head and it was such a release to me and um my non-fiction publisher who had done Becoming so Becoming came out in the June so June July August September four and a half months after Becoming came out and I swore off writing for a bit um and I was this part-time nanny the publisher reached out and said we think there's something in this experience what do you think and I'm like oh my god you're inviting me to write my second book and like I never could have anticipated that taking a step back and nannying then would have like formally formed part of my life as a writer I thought I was stepping back I have since learned that actually it is the living what is this quote on my wall I have a quote that says the art of mastering life is the prerequisite for all further forms of expression and I think I had put writing ahead of everything else and then the moment that I put living satiating my spirit again very privileged position to be able to sit gazing at my navel saying I think my spirit reserves are a little low what could I do you know I appreciate that but that is my truth that is my journey as soon as I started to live and then for them to come to me and say what do you think can you put together a quick proposal of how you think that would look if we looked at like what children have taught you and maybe what that can teach all of us and I remember I put that proposal together the week of the US election when Trump was getting elected and it felt like the hardest thing in the world. I remember like on the Monday, you know, dropping the kids off at school, sitting in a cafe. And then did I wake up on the Thursday or the Friday and Trump had been elected? And it was like, oh my God, thank God my spirit feels a little bit stronger because this also feels like the end of the world. Um, I told myself I was going to tell you the short version of this story, but I'm, I, I did not. Spoiler alert. I'm loving alert, it. Not. I'm loving it. Um, so, yeah, then, then I basically said, well, what if it's, you know, 40 little lessons that I've learned? That way I can explore all the different facets without kind of giving away any personality of the kids or betraying any trust or, you know, um, position of responsibility boundaries. And they bought it and it came out in the April. So I call them my Irish twins. There were nine months between these two books, which for a woman who was medicated and in therapy and gaining weight from finding her only joy in cupcakes um, is, is not bad going. It's not bad going. And I, and I think I was able to do that because it was radical self-care that I 
undertook from the moment just before Becoming came out when I knew I mean, the story I always tell is walking down the street in Stoke Newington, a part of London I adore, and not feeling the sun on my face. I remember walking and thinking, you, it, the sun is out and you cannot feel this on your face. That was like my, and then I remember calling my mum and crying and crying and talking about mental health. And she was saying, what are you on about mental health? What's mental health? I mean, this is three years ago, somebody saying, what's mental health? If you think about, you know, how far the conversation has come along in those three years where we've even got royals championing what mental health is. Um, my mother is, is an incredibly empathetic and thoughtful woman, but mental health, what's mental health? You're not mental. Mm. That's fascinating to me. And it's incredible that any dialogue around people not being able to feel how they feel because well you've got this and you've got that and this compare and despair game that we have the policing of each other i will never not use my voice to talk about how it can be difficult day on day i don't know what it's like to be a rice farmer in a third world country living on pennies a day. I can't speak to that experience. That doesn't then mean I can't speak to my own experience, you know, um, whilst having empathy, whilst having awareness. Um, but yeah, ice cream for breakfast, I credit it. Those girls brought me back to life. They did. I think it's an important point that, that a lot of people tell me that they feel um, kind of guilt or shame about feeling depressed or anxious, despite the, the privilege that they might have. And actually that reminder that it's all relative. You feel how you feel. So don't add an extra layer of bad feeling on top of that by making yourself wrong for, for yeah. feeling how you feel. Just I think the most powerful thing that we can say to one another is that sounds really shit. I'm really sorry because half the time that's all we want we just I've I've long said we just want to be seen we just want to be heard and and you don't need the answers you don't need to wait a judgment if somebody tells you this feels hard sometimes all they need to hear is I I hear you and I see you and that makes it less hard that's it that's that can be the magic answer and don't say, at least you're not a rice farmer in yeah. Vietnam. Well, <laughs> not yeah. so helpful. Which, you know, wasn't it beautiful in Eat, Pray, Love, where, and I know this book has also been vilified, um, you know, white woman explores the world to find herself, but so many of us found um, permission in that book to do something other than what was expected of us. And she tells the beautiful story about her friend, um, the psychoanalyst who worked with Cambodian refugees. And the Cambodian refugees weren't talking about, you know, the horrors that they had seen and bore witness to. They were talking about, well, I met this man at the refugee camp and do you think he loves me? I think he's gonna marry my sister. You know, those real just, uh, do you hear me? Do you see me? Am I loved? Um, I thought that was like a beautiful observation to make. Mm, I love that. 
a theme that kind of comes up in ice cream for breakfast is around play and yeah. and why do you think that's so important and is that, why is that so missing from so many of our lives do you think I am currently reading Ash Ambergé's The Middle Finger Project book. It comes out in February next year in the US and in the UK. I've long followed her work. I feel very privileged to have a preview copy of this book. She puts in context this idea of work, 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 work in a way that I have never seen explored before. And she links it back to Protestantism, particularly in America, that it went from you don't need anything to prove your devotion to God. You don't need anything as long as he exists, kind of a, a, a poverty of self to, to prove uh, this devotion to a higher being. Then Protestantism rose in popularity and it became, no, you must work really hard and suffer to prove to God that, you know, that you love him, that it's all for him. And oh my God, I did not appreciate that link with religion and work. I live on the edge of the Peak District, but 15 minutes down the road from the birth of the Industrial Revolution, there's a clock in the marketplace where, so you can tell it's, eight o'clock in the morning and we work until six, seven, eight o'clock at night. You know, we follow, if it's light, we work. Um, and so I think that we are totally devoid of play because where's the ROI on play? What's, what, what are your key performance indicators and what's the return of investment on play? Um, it's all about work, work, work. And I love the, the rhetoric now and the shift in values of works for work's sake is really sad. It's really sad. And I know it goes hand in hand with a, a failing economy that millennials have said, wait a minute, working to work, but I can't even afford, you know, a house now like the boomers could and we're going actually how do I want life to look what are my values what is the point of it all if I'm born and then I die do I want to have a bit of a laugh in the middle and so here we are I think It's so weird. It's so weird. It is, we are so deeply entrenched in getting a return on our investment. So to play and do nothing, even like this idea of the portfolio career or like a hyphenated career, you know, coming home and, you know, you're cross-stitching them being something that you sell on Etsy. So then you've monetized this hobby that was only ever supposed to be a hobby, being bad at stuff. Maybe millennials were part of a generation where you even got a medal for taking part. And actually, you know, some people rise to the top and of a particular thing and some people do not. And that doesn't mean that one person has a higher value than another. It just means that they're good at this thing and you're less 
good. Um, for me, yoga is so playful, but I, I started out doing my yoga teacher training. I eventually left two days before I qualified. Um, there was a man. I mean, what else is there to say? And in so many ways, I think I'm so grateful that I did walk away from that and that I don't have a qualification in it. And now I am somebody that has just done yoga for six, seven years, you know, the best part of a decade, um, rather than, yes, I've done yoga for the best part of a decade and I'm a qualified yoga teacher. Like, why, why do I need to certify my hobby? What is it in me? Is it a validation thing? Why do I want the validation? Just want to be able to do something for the sake of doing it. I did do watercolor for a hot second. Um, I went to an event that my friend ran, um, Lizzie, Elizabeth Scarlett um, Designs. So she was talking us through her design process and then invited us to do some watercoloring. And then we came home with the paints and the pad. And, um, you know, you can't be on your phone when you're watercoloring. Um, and for a long time, I didn't even have a big proper TV. And so just being there with my brush strokes, I'm fucking terrible. I am a bad, <laughs> like, there's no, I am a bad artist, but it was fun. So, yeah, it sounds like we do need to reconnect with the things that are just for fun and know that there doesn't need to be any purpose or certificate at the end of it or even yeah. being good at it or, you know, getting approval, doing it just for the joy of doing it. Maybe that comes back from childhood. Now I think about it like in gymnastics. So we go to gymnastics every week, but I still did my Kit Kat badges and then got my bronze award and my silver award. Um and you know why we do that? We do that so that you collect the certificates and you get better and better. And so then on your university applications, you can say, I'm a well-rounded individual. Here's the proof. Keep on that exam treadmill. You know, I have long lamented at 14, getting kids to pick 10 subjects. At 16, they drop that down to four subjects. At 18, they pick one subject to go to university. And then while you spent all that money, what is it now, 50 grand? So you better get into the world of work. It's, it's a way of, it's politicized control of the masses. Higher education is a politicized control of the masses. You should only enter it willingly and with awareness and packing kids off in droves at 18 to get in that kind of debt to set them on a path to work 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 is is gross to me such a good point and i've seen something some kind of internet meme going around about i think it was like five five signs that you've internalized capitalism and one of them is thinking that you have to be productive all the time and rest isn't productive. And yeah. I think maybe that links back to, yeah, things that you were saying. And You know who's good for that is Nap Ministry on Instagram. Okay, yes, I've heard of them. Big, big fan of Nap, Nap Ministry, um, who are very much like, if you need a nap, take a nap, because the world will keep turning. Like, oh. but I do it. I judge other people for being lazy because I, I can sit here and kind of 
um, theorize over all the reasons why, but I still have to catch myself and 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 rewire deliberately that thought. Like I'm a victim of it too. Mm, or maybe a willing participant. I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah. But definitely it it, you know, it has bit me also. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting one. And just inviting people listening to think about if you if we're you know, if we're judging other people for being lazy, quote unquote lazy, we also judge ourselves for that. So by having compassion for other people, we're also developing that compassion for ourselves that it's okay to do things that are not productive. And in fact, rest, I always say to people, rest is productive because you need to rest, otherwise you're gonna be rubbish. You're gonna feel rubbish at other times in your life. And I think um don't confuse rest with sometimes it's productive rest to just sit and binge watch Netflix for a whole weekend. But I think um we need to define what rest is without making people feel like, oh my God, I'm not even resting properly. There's rules around how I rest. But inviting, I certainly have to be mindful about inviting myself to, okay, what is active, useful rest? And what is passive consumption of 10 hour long episodes of succession where actually you're not even paying that much attention because you're also on your phone and also ordering a pizza and you know how can you be deliberate with the refueling um yeah whilst also forgiving ourselves that if we want to watch 10 episodes of succession in a row (laughs) well that's boogie it's a hard one isn't it it is yeah thank you for making that distinction sometimes someone um one of my friends talks about you know what is most nourishing right now what is most nourishing sometimes going to bed at eight o'clock and watching netflix is going to be the nourishing thing and sometimes going to yoga is going to be the nourishing thing and it might just depend on the day that is a beautiful word nourish like nourishment Mm. That is a beautiful word because yeah, it reminds me of a plant. Like, oh, my plant needs to be moved to the window. Oh, my plant is thirsty. Oh, you know, yeah, nourishment is yeah. That's a great shout. Mm. Do Do you have any advice for people listening who are maybe struggling with anxiety? Well, probably everyone listening to this is going to be struggling with anxiety. But is there any kind of yeah advice that you would have for them? I think it would be trust trust yourself and trust in how you feel and I and I think I can't speak for others but certainly in my own experience I've often known on a more cellular level what the appropriate thing to do or not do is um and then get bogged down with letting my brain trick me of what I should do and what other people are saying about me and um how everybody else has got it figured out and I have not anxiety can be so hard because so much of it relies on betrayal of your 
brain betraying you is what the actual truth of your reality is. And so coming back to yourself with forgiveness and trust for, for me is an antidote to the kind of anxiety that historically I have had and continue to get. I appreciate it's not that straightforward for so many people. I appreciate it's not that straightforward for, for many people and the betrayal of your brain makes you think that you don't deserve self-kindness or trust. That's the catch 22, isn't it? Um, I do believe in talking therapy. I had talking therapy through a charity who um, did it means tested. So the fact that I was a part-time children's nanny meant that I paid less um, than, you know, other people that I've known that have paid a hundred pounds an hour. Um, I know waiting lists on the NHS are despicably long. Um, I know there's the advent of the online therapist now, but yeah, talk therapy is, is, is a huge thing for me. Just the acknowledgement that your, your brain is betraying you, tricking you. What is your top line advice? If I came to you and was like, I just feel paralyzed with my next step, what would you say to me? Mm, I have found for people that it's very often a combination of a lot of little things that makes a difference. So it might be, you know, for lots of people, they don't tell people how they're feeling. So that would be a really good start. Or it might be looking at um, self-care and really making that more of a priority. It might be finding some kind of meditation that, that works for them. But I think that's such an important point that you just made there about that thing of trust. And I think, and I really resonate with that and recognize how I kind of put myself down because I felt like I couldn't trust my brain. And I used that to shame myself into thinking I'm not good. And I think just that distinction of actually recognizing that, but actually having compassion for yourself at the same time mm. and knowing that actually that isn't the real part of you, the, the anxious thoughts, the, the, you know, distorted thoughts is not actually the real us that actually there's a deeper part of us that we can trust and kind of coming back to that um so thank you for putting that into words of something that I've actually yeah thought about a lot but you've articulated it in a really nice way thank you. so thank you can you share moving on from that topic I just wanted to um ask you to share a little bit about your latest book which I have just started and I'm gonna I'm saving it for a trip that I'm taking in a couple of weeks and I think it's gonna be amazing um, to read then can you share a little bit about that yeah are you talking about our stuff yes yes yeah. um I only make the distinction because I, I did a short audio project as yes. well so yeah, yeah, similar yeah. to ice cream for breakfast called the life diet um which is kind of like my manifesto for curating space in your life yes so our stop is um my first novel my third book, but my first novel, I'm actually trained in creative writing. So I'm trained in fiction. Um, 
and so very exciting to have my first novel out there it is about um nadia fielding and daniel weissman they meet through the missed connections section of a london newspaper uh nadia spots an advert that basically sounds like her and ultimately there's a note back to daniel and then it's game on they're writing to each other but the course of true love never did run smooth so will they, won't they finally get to meet? Um, it, I'm a romantic cynic. So it surprises nobody more than me to write a rom-com, but I truly do believe what you focus on expands. And I am so proud that instead of sort of a, a pithy, takedown of you know cynical millennial culture that I was able to just step into optimism and love and it made me feel optimistic and I hope that is what readers get from it as well I have had some very kind um notes and emails and uh, people some actually I think somebody on Twitter just the other day said that he had sent a missed connection off um, inspired by our stop like why not Take amazing <laughs> yeah and that's just so beautiful to me so um yeah yeah I'm proud of it and and proud to put something hopeful out there it also has a bite you know it, it covers um there are elements of covering um consent and drug culture and uh, abusive past relationships um there are some lgbt um themes in there um but it is also this like classic boy meets girl story it's just boy can't get over the grief of losing his father and girl is very cynical about how good men can truly be mm, amazing yeah so i hope people will check that out and i was reading the reviews and you've got so many amazing reviews of people oh, saying they started reading it and couldn't stop and just had to finish it kind of late into the is, night so um, a lovely thing yeah that is such an amazing feeling i remember with becoming somebody telling me they'd read it in 24 hours i think it was a review i don't read my reviews anymore i don't know what people are saying about our stuff unless they like directly tag me in something or sometimes my publisher forwards like have you seen this have you seen that i don't read my own reviews it's just why would i um you don't hang a painting in an art gallery and then leave room for people to write underneath what they make of it you know, <laughs> the painting is the fucking painting like it love it let's move on that's how I feel I've turned comments off on my Instagram I'm just not interested in feedback unless you want to come directly to me in my inbox and like have a discussion that's great but holding out for like what do people think um and that's just not for me and I've got like more books to write it would just paralyze me with fear I think also that thing of like I want to be validated but I don't want to be seen like mm. I just want to remove myself from the conversation anyway all of this to say um 
somebody said they had read Becoming in 24 hours. And I was like, that book took like five years of my life. And you read it in 24 hours. Like, oh my God, how disrespectful. Now I understand that it's my job as the author to work really hard so that the reader doesn't have to, that they can just power on through what happens next, what happens next, what happens next. I did not understand that even just a couple of years ago. Um, but I am truly honored if, if um, yeah, if people have to buy it. I've been photographed on a lot of holidays with people. That's always an honor to be read on a sun lounger um, or for people that haven't, you know, gotten away. I've been read on a rainy day like today when their kids have been home from school. Yeah, it's a, it's a privilege. It is. That's so lovely. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for speaking to me. I love everything that you're about. And yeah, thank mm -hmm. you for sharing so honestly and um, with so much love. And where can people find out a bit more about you if they want to check you out? Can I just say, I feel like I've been really ineloquent about our stop. I'm so far into the next book that our <laughs> distant memory to me, I'm like, what did I write in that book that came out, oh, three months ago? Um, how embarrassing. If people wanted to find out more, I um, am on social media as um, Laura Jane Author my website um with my biog and bits about my books is laurajaneauthor.com and i'm also on this podcast <laughs> brilliant and i'll put all those links in the show notes for everyone as well so you can um click on those thank you so much thank you Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast, leave me a rating. And is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast? You can let them know by sharing this podcast. I'd be so, so grateful. So I'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead, sending you loads of love. Hopefully you'll tune in again and I'll see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 